Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. We are in the middle of a series called We Are One, coming from Ephesians 4, and we are trying to understand how we can allow God to make us the kind of people he wants us to be, not just individually, but collectively. And so we're looking at the fact that we become one, not just through a character being formed in us, where we're patient and kind, loving, forgiving, those types of things, but we also become one through the content that we believe, the particular things that we hold on to. And so Paul takes us in Ephesians chapter 4, into these particular ones, he says, there is one body and one spirit, one hope, one Lord, and today we're going to talk about one faith. It was towards the end of last century, sounds like a long time ago, but it really wasn't that long ago, the 20th century, that a trend sort of began in our culture, in our environment, in our world. Um, faith was something that we were supposed to keep private it's called the privatization of faith this idea that faith was something to be kept intimate and personal faith like other aspects that are to be discussed behind closed doors became an intimate and secretive and a personal thing something that you just keep between you and your God and like other private matters faith became something that you practiced maybe in the privacy of your home maybe between you and your God um, uh, secretively but it was meant to be kept to yourself. This was true in the way that we interacted with people outside of the faith, or those that weren't Christians, that we are to keep from people who are not Christians because faith is just this idea of inward seeking, that it revolves around therapeutic measures for individuals just to kind of find their balance in life, their stability in life, and that's something you should just keep to yourself and not project onto other people. But that also became, this problem of privatizing faith, it also became something that you, we learned to keep from other Christians. Faith became this idea within the church where it was like a currency of success, so to speak. Where the amount of faith you have made you really successful, and if you were weak or struggling or low in faith, it was something that you needed to learn how to um, mask or hide or camouflage, because in the church we measured possibly success by the amount of faith that we had and this is something that is unhealthy this idea of privatizing individualizing making our faith something so secret and so personal is not actually what the scripture really describes you see here in ephesians 4 paul says something that confronts this idea that stands in contrast to this idea that faith is just my own individual personal seeking that I do on my own when he says that there is one faith one what does he mean by that I'm looking at a room full of people does that mean that there's just one kind what is Paul trying to press us on for what we mostly understand is that faith is something very private that each of us experience but here Paul says, listen, no, I want you to know something about unity. There is one faith. And I think that what Paul's trying to drive us home to understand is that this idea, that faith, the privatization of faith, pardon me, has not made us as people more intimate with God. 
it has made us as people more vulnerable to Satan. This idea that we as Christians don't share faith with each other and we as Christians don't share faith with people outside of the Christ has not made us just people who have become so closer and so stronger and so more intimate with God. It's actually made us people who are more vulnerable to Satan. And Paul wants us to understand the unity that's found in sharing faith. So I want to learn a little bit about this one simple universal faith to see if we can make sense of what Paul's trying to teach us here. Let's start with the substance of faith. What do you think about when I say faith or do you have faith? You know, in Christian circles, we use the word faith a lot. We encourage people to have faith. We ask people about their faith. We, uh, faith is sort of this like um, energy that surrounds the Christian realm. But when I say, how is your faith or do you have faith? What am I talking about? What comes into your mind? If I asked you, do you live by faith? How would you articulate that? See, there's this great scene in one of my favorite movies, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Have you all seen that movie before? Raise your hand if you haven't seen Indiana Jones because you need publicly shamed. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Indiana Jones is this great movie. It's a great movie, okay? All three of them. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, not the final one, but the Last Crusade, there's this scene where uh, Indy has to know that he's got to get to the Holy Grail to save his dad. His dad's sick, he's got a problem, and he knows he's eventually going to have to jump out of the mouth of the lion, he says, to, to get to the Holy Grail. And there's this scene towards the end of the movie where he's going through this like cave like you're at Hocking Hills, and he comes out to the edge, and there's this great abyss between him and where he has to jump. And it's empty. And he starts clutching his chest and, you know, Harrison Ford is breathing heavily and he's having visions of his father suffering and he knows he's got to do this. And all of a sudden he just sort of gets this gumption. He takes this, what we now call a leap of faith. He doesn't know if there's anything below there, anything that's going to help him. And he just takes this step. And all of a sudden what emerges in the camera is this bridge. But Indy didn't know that it was there. And I think that's sort of how we begin, be, have started to understand what faith is. That it's like, I know i got to do something, but I have no clue if it's going to be real. I have no clue if it's going to happen. I have no clue if this is the right thing. But i just got to sort of blindly have courage. And the Bible doesn't present faith like that at all. That's really not what faith is. In Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 1, Paul say, uh, pardon me, the Hebrew writer says, that faith is the substance of what you hope for. And it is the conviction of what you do not yet see. You see, what he's pressing upon us to understand is that faith combines confidence and conviction together. Faith is this idea, this confidence that what you hope for is with your certainty going to happen. So you have faith when you have this desire and this hope for something and you're certain that it's going to happen and then at the same point you have conviction that what you're trusting in will make that come to pass. Faith is the substance of what you hope for, the conviction of what you do not see. Let me try to explain it this way. I have faith that tomorrow I will remain in my marriage to Lisa. I have faith that that will happen. I have faith that tomorrow I will wake up and I will live at the house that I live, I have faith that tomorrow, if the Lord allows the day to exist, that I will still be employed here post today. I hope it goes well. Do you understand? I, I have faith that that's going to happen. 
I have, faith, I have confidence and conviction that those things will take place. Not because I've seen tomorrow, but because I've seen a lot of yesterdays. Are you with me? I've seen a lot of yesterdays. And I've got a lot of yesterdays to look at to say, okay, you know what? I have confidence that tomorrow, I have faith that tomorrow, I'm going to still be married to Lisa if the Lord allows us both to be alive in this world. Does that make sense? That's what faith is. But here, Paul says that there is one faith, but faith has two vantage points. When you come to Scripture where it talks about faith, there's from God's vantage point and then from our vantage point. I want to show you both of those today. The first one is this, that faith is, from one vantage point, a prevailing truth. A prevailing truth. Over and over in Scripture, there's the times that the, the Bible says that it describes faith as the faith. The article the is before the word faith. Like Jude verse 3 where he says, I want to write to you about this common salvation we have, but I need to urge you to contend for the faith. Kind of specific, the faith. Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it says, priests were being converted to the faith. Acts chapter 14, verse 22, Paul said, that, or Luke was writing, that they were going back to the churches that they had established and strengthening them in the faith. And when the Bible is speaking about that, what it's talking about, the faith, is a singular, universal gift from God to the world. The faith, the system, that which God has given to us to believe in and to live by. It's the story that is born in creation, that we believe that God made the world on purpose, not accidentally. It's the story of the fall that we believe that human beings have exerted themselves as equal with God to run their own lives. That has led us to life of sin separated from God, which is known as the fall. Involved in this, the faith is the story of redemption, the incarnation of God himself and Jesus Christ. That he lived a perfect and sinless life and yet living perfect and sinless was found guilty under Roman law sentenced to death, died on a cross, and was separated body from soul. The faith is the story that that body was buried into a tomb. In a, a stone that was rolled away, that body laid lifeless in a tomb, covered over with a stone, and the Spirit of Jesus was gone from that body. The faith is delivered from God as a truth that says that that Spirit came back to that body by the power of God, because he was righteous, perfect, and for us, our Savior, and animated that body back to life, and that stone was rolled away, and that body, Jesus Christ, was dead, now alive, walked out of the tomb, and saw some 500 people over the course of about 40 days. And then with his close disciples, who had become his apostles, on the last day he stood on earth, that body, Jesus Christ, ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he now makes intercession to the Father for his people. That is the faith. And he invites all people to come into that faith in Jesus Christ through belief, repentance, confession, baptism, to become one with this man, Jesus Christ. That is the prevailing truth of the faith. But it doesn't just stop there. It's also a personal trust that you've got to actually believe that. So what I just laid out for you, this story of Jesus Christ, 
is the faith given to us from God as a prevailing truth, but you also have to ask yourself, do I trust that? So when you say you're a person of faith, or you walk by faith, or you live in faith, you have to ask yourself, is that thing I've just told you now the very thing you trust in, that you live by, that you circle your life around, that you see as essential? That's why Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, that you and I have to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. You see, faith is not just some quasi-experience to be religious. Faith is not just some tingling you have inside you where you just kind of feel like being religious for a day and now you just become kind of a spiritual person. That's not what faith is. The faith that he's driving us home to is to ask, what do you trust? What do you live by? What do you circle your life around? What do you live for? And you've got to ask yourself, what drives you? What motivates you? What is the fuel to the engine of your life? And if it's not the story of the redemption we have in Jesus Christ, you have your faith in something else. So he says, do you have faith in this? And born out of this salvation, when you believe this story of Jesus Christ, you realize that there is no other God, there is no other being that merits the kind of trust that he does that he loves you this much, that he cares for you this much. And so if he loves and cares for you this much, and you can trust him with your soul, that means you can also trust him with your everyday life. That's why Paul said we walk by faith, not by sight. If God has proven trustworthy enough to save my soul, he's trustworthy enough to leave my life. Galatians chapter 2 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I want to ask you this morning, Christian, seriously to think about this. When you see yourself as a person of faith, does that describe the fact that you just have a pattern of religion? Or does it articulate your personal conviction in who Jesus Christ is? Are you a person of faith? Let me tell you the second thing about this one faith. This faith also has seasons to it. Faith is not this static, never-changing, um, inanimate object. Faith has seasons to it. Our faith in the Scriptures is oftentimes described as sort of like a journey that has different moments and different times in it. And if you've been a Christian long enough, you know this, that your faith has seasons to it. And here's why there being one faith is so essential for us to be sharing it with each other because our faith has seasons to it. We all have different seasons. Let me tell you a few of them. We have seasons of strength and weakness in faith. There are times when your faith is really strong, and there are times when your faith will grow weak. Peter, the apostle, is the greatest example in the scriptures of watching this play out. Peter himself, when he was called by Jesus to follow him, left everything, the family business, and went and followed Jesus. When Jesus said, hey, guys, in a little while, I'm going to be put upon a cross, and I'm going to die... Peter brings Jesus aside and scolds him like a parent would scold a child. And he says, you will not die. He's got all kinds of faith, right? And then Jesus tells him, listen, you're going to deny me. And Peter looks Jesus in the eye and he says, I will die with you. I will not deny you. That guy had strong faith in that moment, right? But then it comes where he hears the rooster crow and he knows that he's denied him three times. And he bottoms out. And in fact, we see the story in John where he says, listen, I'm giving up. I'm going to go back to fishing. And he's fishing. And Jesus shows up at the shore. 
And in that moment, Peter's faith is in the bottom. It's weak. And he sees Jesus, jumps in the water, swims, has breakfast with Jesus, is restored by Jesus, and he's strong again. But that's not where the story ends for Peter. Now Peter's an apostle, baptizing people, going on mission trips, establishing churches. He finds himself in Galatia with Paul. And guess what Peter does? He becomes a hypocrite around the Gentiles when no Jews are around. He's eating and hanging out with Gentiles. Jews show up and Peter starts acting like they're not good enough for him. And Paul calls him out. And in that moment, Peter's faith is weak again. Do you see that? And then we see the story in 1 Peter and 2 Peter where Peter's writing as a sage, wise shepherd of God. And he's got strong faith. And he says that we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the mystery of Jesus Christ. We know what we saw. Do you see Peter's like that? Now church, look at me. Your faith is going to go through moments of strength and moments of weakness. It will. We've got to stop using faith as a currency of merit and success in this building. And we've got to look at each other and say, hey, I'm strong today. Who needs served? I'm really fired up. I'm, the resurrection has changed me. I'm committed. We also need to be there for each other when we see some weakness. We see some distractions. We see the content of people's conversations being not about the Lord anymore, but about other things. We need to step in and serve each other and care for each other because we're going to have moments of strength and moments of weakness. Let me tell you about another season you're going to go through. Seasons of triumph and seasons of turmoil. One of the worst ways that you can view God is through the lens of him being happy and him being mad. Or through the lens of him wanting to reward and wanting to always punish. This is one of the most dangerous ways to always view God, that he's in this, that, he, that he's temperamental. You know what I mean? That he's happy one day and he's mad one day. And here's what we typically do as humans. We look at our life and we have circumstances that we like and circumstances we don't like. We have things that make us comfortable and things that make us uncomfortable. We have things that we want, things that we don't want. And when we get the things that make us comfortable, circumstances we like, things that we consider to be blessings, sometimes we attribute that, well, God must really like me right now. I must be nailing it. I'm doing great. Maybe my faith is good right now, and he's giving me the things I want. And when things aren't going so well for us, you're facing difficulty in job or with your body or with your mind or you're facing challenges in your relationships, one of the things we do is we look to the heavens and say, what have I done to make you mad? And sometimes our faith goes through seasons of triumph and turmoil. I want to show you a passage in Hebrews chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, turn there because we're going to look at 11 and then 12. Hebrews 11 is this chapter in the Bible called the Hall of Fame of Faith. And it's the place that I quoted from at the beginning where faith is uh, defined in verse 1. But I want you go, to go to the um, end of this passage. In verse 32, it's the place in Hebrews 11 where we sort of taper off and we stop using the stories. The beginning of Hebrews 11 has all the really big faith stories about, you know, Noah and Abraham and Moses and these guys who are just doing these great things by faith. And you come down to chapter 10, verse 32, and it's the uh, 11. It's the end of the chapter. Now listen to this story, because this is the hall of fame of the cloud of witnesses who are cheering you on to stay in the faith, okay? That's what he says in chapter 12. You have a cloud of witnesses that are cheering you on in faith. Verse 32 says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and, of David and Samuel and the prophets... These guys who through faith conquered kingdoms, 
enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Stop. Right there, stop. Boy, that's some triumph of faith, isn't it? Turning back foreign armies, lion coming at you, you just grab his jaws and rip its head off like dead children coming back to life. These people are having triumphal moments in their faith. And we usually think the period is there and that's the end of the story. And when things go well, faith must be fine. But listen to the rest of this. Listen to the rest of this. In middle of verse 35, he says, Some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. 36. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. You get that? These of faith were giants of faith, and they went through great triumphs and incredible turmoil. So look at me right now. If you are having a moment of triumph, things are going well, you got the job you wanted, the bank's looking good right now, and you check online, you like the house you live in, relationships are great, look to the heavens and thank God for his blessings. But if you are in turmoil right now, if you are struggling right now, there is not always a direct correlation between I'm going through something difficult and I must be horrible. Sometimes God takes us through difficult moments to sharpen us, to refine us, to strengthen us. Sometimes he uses difficult moments to wake us up if we're not living by faith. And when he wakes us up and you're in those difficult moments, he's trying to refine you to uh, zero in on him because he loves you and he cares for you. We go through seasons, yes, of triumph and turmoil. Let me give you the last one. You go through seasons of seeking and sometimes stagnation. There's a story of a church in Revelation where they had grown lukewarm, kind of indifferent to what they were doing. They had the routine down, the rhythm down, but they had grown stagnant. There's a church in Revelation that left their first love, that they were dynamites in the work for the Lord, that they were busy, that if you looked at them with your eyes, you were like, oh, those are Christians. They go to church every Sunday. They obey God. They do what they're supposed to do. But deep down, God knew. That's why Jesus wrote to them, you've left your first love or you've grown lukewarm. And you're going to go through moments like that where you're on fire and seeking and maybe moments when you're stagnant and lulling. In those moments when you find yourself stagnated, he says, repent and do the first works that you did. Now, what does that mean? Revelation 2, when you do the first works, what does that mean? Well, he's writing to the church in Ephesus, and the great thing about that is we have the story of when the church of Ephesus was born. In Acts chapter 19, we have this story. So when Jesus is saying to them, you've left your first love, repent, do what you did at the very beginning. It's not just some um, random idea about go love Jesus. It's very specific. If you look in Acts 19, when the church in Ephesus was born, it was under a difficult circumstance and they, with great ferocity, repented of everything they did that was against Jesus, that was against God. It says they burned their books, something worth 50,000, you know, something of silver, I think it was. It was a lot of money. 
And they came back to Jesus Christ, who became the very thing that strengthened them. So we have one faith that comes from God that we trust in. We have seasons of faith that's going to go up and down that you and I need to buy into and understand and help each other. But we've got to ask, where does this one faith really come from? You see, we as people, as brothers and sisters in Christ, Scripture says that we need to learn to encourage each other, to consider each other, to bear with each other, to forgive each other, to value each other, to love each other. You and I need to learn to breathe life of faith into each other. Hebrews 3 says, while it is day, we need to encourage each other so that no one loses heart to become unbelievers. That we need to be people who are pouring into each other to build up faith in us. Faith is something that we celebrate together and we share together so we can be strengthened together. You and I need to be developing that as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. This faith is vital to us. But where does it actually come from? What is the source of this faith? If you're a person here today with a stagnant faith or a weak faith, or maybe you're saying, I don't have any faith at all, where does this faith come from? And the misstep we make sometimes is this, is that we look to ourselves to build this kind of faith. That we think that we can generate it out of thin air, that we can create it. That's not really how it works. We're often tempted to turn to ourselves and give ourselves some sort of pep talk like, come on, man, you can do this. Get stronger in your faith. What are you thinking? Like we can sort of, uh, you know, just pep talk ourselves into this. What's your problem? Be stronger. Do better. And then we become discouraged when it doesn't happen. Why? Because we're not creators of this. Look in Hebrews 12, verse 1. Following that passage I just read to you about those who are the cloud of witnesses of faith, he says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance, with faith, the race that is set before us. Now look in verse 2. Here's how you walk. Here's how you run. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We do not grow faith by focusing on faith. You grow your faith by focusing on Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? So if you feel discouraged, weak, frail in your faith, Satan wants you to look at yourself and say, you're such a mess. You're, what's your problem? Get it together. You're, you're an idiot. And he just wants to continue to make your eyes stare at who? You. Hebrews says, look to Jesus. Set your eyes on Jesus. So if you're here today, stagnant, weak, not seeking, not here's the answer. Go home and stare at Jesus. Look at Jesus. See his glory. See his greatness. And over time, as you get closer and closer to the fires, that log that was once burning, that has sort of turned gray and uh, you know ashy, as it gets closer to the fire, what happens to it? The embers start burning again, don't they? You've got to get close to the fire to burn again. We don't grow faith by focusing on faith. We do it by focusing on Christ. He says that he endured the cross. He despised the shame that came after him. 
and now resurrecting and ascending to heaven he's seated seated at the, seated at the right hand of the father he has overcome the power of sin and the power of death and here's the key he says it was his joy to do that it was his great pleasure it was the thing he wanted to do for you there's no one in this world you should trust more than him no one and if you don't have this one faith it's time to look to jesus and see if you can have it let it be born in you if it's weak get around other christians who are passing this on if it's struggling and stumbling look at jesus and see him enduring the cross despising your shame and see him overcoming for you so that you can have victory and you will have confidence and conviction of where you're going and how to get there you'll be a person of faith let's stand and sing if you don't have faith won't you come